Hey, if you need new sunglasses, if you would like to get new sunglasses, know that Shady Rays, for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, is offering a fantastic deal. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use this promo code Al Galdi. Shady Rays sunglasses, they are the best. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. Go to ShadyRays.com and use that code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use that code Al Galdi for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. go episode 565 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Thursday May 4th 2023 it is Star Wars day 2023 May 4th May the 4th be with you as Anakin and Obi-Wan said to each other in one of the Star Wars movies may the force be with you Obi-Wan May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. Yeah, there you go. May the force be with you. May the force be with you and yours. Look, I am not a big Star Wars guy. I have nothing against Star Wars. I just never got that into it. Uh, The force was not with Josh Harris's Philadelphia 76ers on Wednesday night. Our incoming commander's owner, the NBA team that he owns, got smashed at the Boston Celtics 121 87 uh, to even that second round NBA playoff series at one. You know, I've actually heard from some people saying that they don't like that Josh Harris owns two other pro sports teams in this country, in the Sixers and the New Jersey Devils. I get that. I mean, no Sixers or Devils fan am I. But the fact that Josh Harris owns two other pro sports teams in this country, I actually find that encouraging because he has experience as a sports team owner and has had success, albeit non-championship success, as a sports team owner. You know, he as a sports team owner has overseen two rebuilds in those of the Sixers and Devils. Rebuilds that have gone pretty well. Uh, maybe another rebuild is coming, this time for our football team. Then again, maybe our football team goes 12-5 and five this coming season. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, if the Commanders do go 12-5 and five or better in the 2023 regular season, you would think that that would be in part due to their defense being really good. The defense was good last season, has a chance to be great this coming season, especially off the team taking Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes with the number 16 overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. Coming up next segment, I'm going to welcome on Matt Wyatt for some high-level analysis of Emmanuel Forbes. Matt Wyatt is a former Mississippi State quarterback. He is the radio analyst for Mississippi State football games on the MSU Sports Network. He also is the host of the Matt Wyatt Show on ESPN The Zone 105.9 in Mississippi. Matt Wyatt knows Mississippi State football really well, understands the people and the X's and O's of Mississippi State football really well. And so Matt's going to spend some time with us talking Emmanuel Forbes, why he has been so good at generating interceptions, whether his lack of mass is a concern, uh, whether he's better in man coverage or zone coverage, whether he's too much of a risk taker in trying to get picks. Uh, All of that and more on Emmanuel Forbes is coming up with Matt Wyatt. Uh, Also on the show, we'll talk 
Nationals. A good win for the Nats on Wednesday night. A 2-1 win over the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park. A shortstop, C.J. Abrams, another clutch hit. Starting pitcher, Jake Irvin, a solid Major League regular season debut. The Nats' bullpen was great, and the Nats' defense, a big plays. You know, the Nats have won three of four they're not a good team, okay? But they are a better team as compared to the major league worst team that they were last season. Uh, and I will hit on the Orioles. Uh, bad game for them on Wednesday night. A 6 nothing loss at the Kansas City Royals. Uh, if you are a Maryland fan like me, Thursday is a big day. It is Hunter Dickinson Day. He late night on Wednesday night did announce via Twitter that he on Thursday will be announcing his school for the coming college basketball season. 7-1 center Hunter Dickinson. He started Michigan the last three seasons. He entered the NCAA transfer portal this offseason. Uh, Dickinson went to DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. Uh, it is true that he has held a grudge against Maryland for it supposedly not recruiting him very hard, but the regime that supposedly did not recruit him very hard, the Mark Turgeon regime, uh, that regime is long gone. I mean, the Turge has not been the Terrapins head coach since December 2021. Their current head coach, Kevin Willard, he in April hired Mike Jones as an assistant coach to replace Tony Skin who left to become George Mason's head coach. Uh, Mike Jones spent the last two seasons as associate head coach at Virginia Tech, which hired him in May 2021. But he's probably best known for being the head coach at DeMatha for 19 seasons, 2002 to 2021. It was Mike Jones who replaced the legendary Morgan Wooten as DeMatha head coach. And it was Mike Jones who was Hunter Dickinson's head coach at DeMatha. The number one story in Maryland basketball for weeks now has been, is Hunter Dickinson going to choose Maryland as his transfer destination? Are the Terps about to land the number one transfer in college basketball in Hunter Dickinson? We shall see. Uh, also, update on the Capitals head coaching search for which there has been very little news. Uh, Pierre Lebrun, senior NHL columnist, for the Athletic NHL Insider for the Sports Network in Canada. He on Wednesday afternoon tweeted, quote, hearing that the Washington Capitals plan to interview Lightning assistant Jeff Halpern at some point in their head coach search process, end quote. Yeah, Jeff Halpern uh, has come up as a candidate for Caps head coach. He came up uh, shortly after the Caps on April 14th announced that the team and head coach Peter Laviolette had, quote, mutually agreed to part ways end quote. Uh, Jeff Halpern, you know the name probably, right? Uh, Halpy, former Cavs center. Uh, he's currently an assistant coach for the Tampa Bay Lightning, has been an assistant coach for the Lightning since June 2018. Uh, the Lightning has won the Eastern Conference Championship each of the last three seasons, won back-to-back -back Stanley Cup titles in 2020 and 2021. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from John Mann in Rockville, Maryland on the appearance of the mighty Thor. Uh, NFL draft and college football analyst Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. He on Monday's show, episode 562, gave us an in-depth breakdown of the Commander's 2023 draft, which he gave a D minus, uh, despite liking a lot <laughs> about the players. Uh, the grade was more about the commander's process than the players themselves. Writes John, I've been bothered since listening to your interview on Monday's show, episode 562, with Thor Nystrom. With several of the picks, he said some version of, I like the guy the team picked more than the other evaluators like the guy, but the team should have traded back, so I downgraded the pick. What? <laughs> that seems like he came up with the grade and looked for any reason to justify it. How could a serious evaluator knock a team for failing to trade back? It's draft 101 that a team needs a partner to make a trade. There has been a lot of reporting that both the Jets and the Commanders wanted to trade back, but couldn't find teams willing to do so. The top tackles were gone, and there were a ton of corner and receiver prospects lined up in the same tier. Who were these mystery teams allegedly trading up to pick? Thor seemed to like six of the seven Washington picks, but gave the team a D minus. I give his explanations an F. <laughs> Thank you for the email, John. Uh, look, I am biased, okay? I like Thor Nystrom a lot. He has been a very good and loyal guest on this podcast, and he knows NFL draft prospects like few people do. But I hear you, John. I do. 
Uh, email from Q in Washington, D.C. on something about the commander's selection of Emmanuel Forbes that I did not like. So the New England Patriots in the 2023 draft took the Oregon corner, Kristen Gonzalez, with the number 17 overall pick. They traded down and took Gonzalez. And according to Patriots insider Chad Graff of The Athletic in a piece that came out last Friday morning, the Pats knew that the commanders were going to take Emmanuel Forbes at 16. Quote, The Patriots also made the trade, even though they liked Gonzalez, because they were confident from their information gathering that Washington, the owner of the 16th pick, wanted cornerback Emmanuel Forbes. As Patriots executives predicted, that's who the commanders chose. End quote. Uh, I do not like that another NFL team was able to decipher what the commanders were going to do at 16. Uh, Our team apparently needed to be more discreet with its draft plans. Uh, Writes Q, if you look at the video that the commanders put out with Ron Rivera calling Emmanuel Forbes, telling him he would be drafted by the team, Ron told Forbes that he would see his name called in 10 minutes. Very possible that the Patriots and maybe other teams called Forbes and he told them that the commanders were taking him and that's how the Pats or any other team knew what the commanders were doing because the commanders showed their hands so early. Not sure if this is how this stuff normally works, but why would the commanders have showed their hands so early? Seems like amateur hour stuff. Uh, Thank you for the email cue. Very interesting point. I mean, the thing would be this. So the Patriots traded back in the first round, went from 14 to 17. So when that number 14 overall pick came up, had Ron Rivera already called Emmanuel Forbes? Uh, The timeline here, of course, is a big deal. But what Q referenced is something to think about. Uh, Email from Jake Matthews on the commanders having taken Emmanuel Forbes in the first round of the draft. Writes Jake, I was catching up on your podcast from Friday and something that you said jumped out to me. At the 27-15 mark, you were mentioning how Forbes was ranked the lowest on Pro Football Focus's big board among the top corners. Then you proceeded to say that just because guys are ranked in a certain order for a draft doesn't mean anything. This surprised me since you are one of the flag waivers for PFF rankings and because you've said repeatedly that you think that Sam Howell isn't an average fifth round pick because he was ranked 34th on PFF's big board last year. So why is it that Howell's ranking or any PFF ranking matters, but Forbes being ranked last out of the top DBs does not matter? Also, a concern with Forbes' size that I haven't heard brought up from people is how he will fare covering bigger more physical wide receivers. A guy like A.J. Brown, who Forbes will likely have to cover at some point, has a 60-pound weight advantage over Forbes. I also think that the high turnovers that he had in college will not translate to the NFL, mainly for the reasons that Thor Nystrom laid out. But also just looking back at Washington's past drafts, the last guys who had a bunch of interceptions in college barely had any for the Redskins. In 2013, Washington selected David Amerson, who had 18 interceptions in college, Philip Thomas, who had 13 interceptions in college, and Bakori Rambo, who had 16 interceptions in college. Do you know how many interceptions those three guys had combined in their time in Washington? Two. I like Forbes' wingspan and speed, but I think that we might need to temper expectations on him, at least in his first year. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jake. Well, what I said on last Friday's show, episode 560, was that it may be that the commanders are right and the prevailing thought that they overdrafted Emmanuel Forbes is wrong. I did not say that guys being ranked in a certain order doesn't mean anything. I mean, something like the pro football focus big board is a tool, is a guide that I do look at and that I do respect, but it is not gospel. I always say that with PFF, or at least I try to say that often. PFF is not gospel, but to me, it is something worth looking at. Uh, And these big boards do get things wrong all of the time, as do, by the way, NFL teams. So it could be that the consensus opinion on Forbes is wrong. It could be that the commanders are wrong on Forbes. We don't know, and we're not going to know for a while. Uh, When it comes to the Sam Howell point, There's a big difference between a fifth round pick 
who was ranked number 34 overall on a PFF big board, and a number 16 overall pick who was ranked number 26 on a PFF big board. The two discrepancies aren't close. The commanders in the 2022 draft took quarterback Sam Howell with the number 144 overall pick, with him being the number 34 player for PFF. The commanders in the 2023 draft took corner Emmanuel Forbes with the number 16 overall pick, with him being the number 26 player for PFF. Forget about what you think about the PFF rankings. There was a 110 pick difference with Sam Howell. There was a 10 pick difference with Emmanuel Forbes. Not even close. Uh, Jake's point about Forbes' size is a worthy point. Although remember, it's not that Forbes is small. It's that he is light and there is a difference. Uh, The lack of weight, the lack of mass is something to think about, no doubt. But A, Forbes over three seasons at Mississippi State never missed a game due to injury. And B, Forbes is tall and lengthy. He, at the 2023 NFL Scouting Combine, measured as being six feet and three-fourths of an inch and as having a wingspan of 79 inches. So light, yes. Small, no. Uh, And Jake's point about the interceptions is valid. The interception thing with Emmanuel Forbes is tricky. There's no doubt that interceptions and takeaways in general can be fluky. They come and go. They're a function of a lot of different things. Players and teams display great variance year to year in terms of producing interceptions. At the same time, Emmanuel Forbes at Mississippi State was a consistent interception generator. 14 interceptions over 36 career games. So as non-predictive as interception totals can be, it's not unreasonable to think that Forbes has a skill set conducive to interceptions. There are players who are better at generating interceptions than others. I mean, think about one of the greatest defensive backs in NFL history, former Baltimore Ravens safety Ed Reed. Was all of his success generating interceptions a fluke? No, he had a skill set conducive to getting picks. Forbes hopefully has a similar skill set. There is such a thing as having a knack for interceptions and having high-level anticipation that allows you to produce interceptions and having the vision to where you generate picks. Forbes has the knack, has the anticipation, has the vision, also has speed, right? Emmanuel Forbes at that 2023 combine ran a 4-3-5-40. Look, Forbes is no sure thing. There is no sure thing in an NFL draft. I mean, (laughs) take what happened earlier this week. We learned that 14 of the 32 first-round picks in the 2020 draft ended up having their fifth-year options declined. 14 out of 32. That tells us all we need to know about the certainty of the NFL draft. Well, this episode of the podcast is for Thursday, May 4th. It was one week ago, Thursday night, April 27th, that the Commanders took Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes with the number 16 overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft in our continuing quest to know and understand what the Commanders are getting in Forbes. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast someone who can provide insight on Forbes like few can. Former Mississippi State quarterback Matt Wyatt Uh, He is the radio analyst for Mississippi State football games on the MSU Sports Network. He also is the host of the Matt Wyatt Show on ESPN The Zone 105.9 in Mississippi. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Radio Wyatt. Hey, Matt, how are you? Yeah, doing great, Al. Glad to be with you. And it's fun to talk about a, you know, a guy that's a first rounder that, you, you know, you watch him come from a local high school here just right down the road close to close to Starkville and then, uh, you know, become the all-time leader in pick sixes in the SEC and then go in the first round. So really happy to talk to you about him. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, what would you say that the commanders are getting in Emmanuel Forbes? Yeah, I think he's uh, the total package. You know, I mean, he could be 6'2", um, but instead, what, you know, he's a six-foot corner who plays like he's 6'2". I mean, and he could be 190, but... You know, he's 170, 175, and a lot of times tackles like he's 190. That's why he's a first-rounder. He's the total package. And I, I will tell you, too, and I think um, this is something that's hard to evaluate probably 
for a lot of folks. It's, uh, but from our perspective of getting to be around him and watching practice and, you know, see how he interacts and how he is on the plane going on a road game and all these things. He's just a guy who he was always locked in. He, he never has a bad day. You know, he, he's a guy who you want to be around. He's great in the locker room. He has sort of this steady confidence about him that everybody else sort of fed off of. Um, you know, he, not the most brash kind of guy but really in a good way he's just go to work consistent every day and you know you wouldn't have to take my word for it either you know his position coach here Darcel McBath who played a lot of years in the NFL and kind of knows the ropes he'd tell you the same thing too you know athletically the guy's special but he's got some other special qualities too and so he's just the he's the total package man I you know he's one of those that He's just, he's going to be successful. There's just no question about it. Uh, the interceptions are what stand out more than anything with Emmanuel Forbes. You over three seasons at Mississippi State totaled 14 interceptions, left college number one among active FBS players in career interceptions. He is the FBS's all-time leader in career pick sixes with six. Uh, what specifically makes him so good at generating interceptions? You know, I think it starts with all the things that you want a corner to do fundamentally within a scheme to make sure that he's in a position to be around the ball, he does all that, right? Because, you know, he you see a lot of guys who they, they're a 4-3 guy like he is. And so sometimes maybe fundamentally they're not as sharp because they can get away with it because they know it. You know, like in the, the offensive parallel would be a quarterback who has a really strong arm so his footwork's not that great. He's just relying on arm strength. You, know, you see that a lot. Well, Emmanuel was a 4-3 guy who fundamentally was always really good. So instead of, in certain situations, getting driven off a route in man coverage, and so there's three and a half, four yards of separation when the ball gets there, he had more times when there's one yard of separation. And with those long arms and that 4-3, you know, quick twitch, you know, ability, he's able to get into the receiver when the ball gets there, you know, and so like you look, um, he had a, he had a pick six this past year against Texas A&M towards the end of the game. And that's one where the ball's getting there. He's there, you know, in the window, it becomes a ball that's tipped around and he's athletic enough to, to after the tip, make the pick and keep his feet in bounds. Well, that's one where most corners, even really good ones, if they're a yard and a half away, they don't get a hand on that ball. It's just an incompletion. So he had a knack for that. Starts with, it's, it's not some uncanny thing. It starts with, fundamentally, he's just always where he's supposed to be. And then he can use his athletic ability. And then we saw him a couple of years ago. You know, he a great example of a pick against LSU and one of their better receivers. The ability to be running full speed tracking a receiver in his hip pocket down the field and flip those hips and you're you're going from a front run to a back pedal to turning your head to over the shoulder and never slow down and never lose track of the football get both hands on it and still catch it so the, the ball skills are through the roof okay so that's the thing i think yeah maybe the ball skills you don't you're not able to teach not able to coach you either have it or you don't well, you pair it with he does everything right fundamentally, and he's a 4-3 guy. Well, it, that's what you get is a guy who every opportunity he had to catch one, he caught it. And that's what you got with him. You mentioned Emmanuel Forbes tackling. He, on March 3rd at the 2023 NFL Scouting Combine, registered a weight of just 166 pounds. He, at Mississippi State's Pro Day on March 28th, registered a weight of just 170 pounds. This is not a guy carrying a lot of mass, and yet he, for Mississippi State, seemed to be a willing tackler. Is that what you saw? Yeah, that is what I saw. And, you know, I do think that if you were trying to find a concern, it's not the tackling, it's the weight with the tackling. Like if you're going to go fly in there, you know, head first and throw your body around at the line of scrimmage, it is one thing to do that in college. It's another thing to do that in the NFL when you're in those positions. And so, you know, if you weigh, if you go into a game and you're weighing 165, you know, so I think, you know, that's 
probably where he's got some room to still really develop over the next couple of years is is get bigger, heavier, stronger. But in terms of a willing tackler, he is not a guy who, uh, for any reason, ever shied away from it. We saw big hits. We saw him play at the line of scrimmage. Um, a lot. We saw him break up a lot of those, you know, bubble screen type plays and smoke screen type plays where he's going through the blocker. To that was the other thing too. You know, we talk about tackling, but if you watch his film in college football, you get so many of those smoke screens where they're trying to lead block on a corner with a guy. They couldn't block it. He blew those up. They teams were not able to run those plays to his side. So he's. That's another reason he's he's going high first round. Right is. You just don't have any doubts about his willingness to be physical out there on the edge. We are talking about the commander's first round pick in the 2023 draft, Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes with former Mississippi State quarterback Matt Wyatt, who is the radio analyst for Mississippi State football games on the MSU Sports Network. He also is the host of the Matt Wyatt Show on ESPN The Zone 105.9 in Mississippi. You know, hearing you bring up Forbes on screens reminded me of the commander's senior director of player personnel, Eric Stokes, this past Saturday, talking up a specific pick six from Forbes as being one of the best plays that Stokes has ever seen. The pick six came on a screen this past October 15th when uh, then number 16 Mississippi State did lose and then number 22 Kentucky 27-17. But do you remember that pick six? And if so, what stands out to you about that pick six? Yes, and, and there's a reason. You know, it stood out within the context of the game because it was a deal where his team could not move the ball offensively. It felt like a night when, hey, if you're going to have a chance to win this game, which that's the goal, Right, we're trying to win games. It's not about stats. If you got, it feels like defense is going to have to score, and yeah, they're trying to quick screen him out there on the edge. And and Forbes read the play from the line of scrimmage. It was a film study play to know the ball is coming there. Now it's a little bit of a risk too that he's taking in that situation, thinking because if they pump it and go over his head, maybe he's jumped this route. But it's just it's it's this football IQ awareness going. If we're going to score tonight, my offense isn't play well. I got to make a play. It's okay. Here's this formation. They did it to us in the first quarter where they motioned away from us, singled me up over here, and tried to throw this quick thing back because they know I'm going to give him cushion. I'm on the single side of the wide side of the field, and because of the scenario in the game, I'm, I'm jumping this, and I got to deke it just enough to make sure the throw gets off. If I jump it too early, he's going to pull the ball and I throw it. So it was just like. And all that, he's processing all that in five seconds from break of the huddle to snap of the ball. And we see the play, and it's just – and then that play cut it to a one-score game in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden a team that was dead in the water had a chance. Now, they didn't go win the game, but they had a chance because of the play he made. Um, that really – I'm not surprised at all that that was one – not just the play – but the whole context of the play and how he made it in the situation, that's what you're looking for, is a guy who, what I called him at times in, the, in his career on our broadcast was our takeover player because he was a guy who could take over a game. Uh, I mentioned the A&M game. He, he comes off the edge and blocks a field goal attempt that a teammate picks up and takes to the house. He has a pick six later. He took over that ball game. And that Kentucky game... All he needed was an offense to go on one scoring drive, and he took over that game too. So he's a takeover player. As you know, there are corners who get interceptions by gambling, and gambling, when it doesn't work, can be costly. Uh, Would you classify Emmanuel Forbes as a gambler or not necessarily? You know, I would say the answer is not necessarily. I felt like he sort of had a knack for when to and when not to. And what was great is he had such a great relationship, I feel like, and a trust with his corners coach in McBath and, and his defensive coordinator in Zach Arnett, who is now our head, head coach in that, it, you know, they would give him opportunities to take a gamble and take a risk when they wanted to. And then they would put him in positions when they didn't want to. And he wasn't out there doing his own thing. Does that make sense? So. It, it's like it, it wasn't a deal where as a coaching staff, you were 
like, well, he may take a risk and it may work or it may not. We don't really know what we're getting. You know, he was he was a risk taker when he was supposed to be within the scheme, which was such a comfort for the defensive staff because then you can really coach, man. Now you can move the pieces around knowing that other teams are going to avoid him. And, you know, so I just feel like he was really responsible with it. You know, when you look at, to, to, you know, an NFL example, like a guy in Diggs in, in Dallas, and you look at the year he had a couple of years ago, and he sort of earned that reputation of a risk taker, right? And, and I would say that a lot of teams came back last year and made him pay for that, um, for example. You know, I don't I, – I would not classify Emmanuel – we call him Junior. His nickname here over the years was Junior. Um, I would not classify Junior as that sort of guy like what Diggs did two years ago where you're just looking for an opportunity to try to jump one. It's within the scheme, and that's what coaches want. Regarding man versus zone, uh, which coverage did Mississippi State play more of during Emmanuel Forbes' time with the program, and is he better in one coverage versus the other? I feel like they played more man. Um, it was, um, you know, a really aggressive scheme under Zach Arnett during uh, Junior's career out there at corner. So he was in a lot of man, but a lot of that had to do with him. You know, I feel like. You know, a lot of that was if Zach Arnett and Coach uh, McBath didn't have a guy like Junior at corner, they might not play as much man, you know. Um, so because they had him on one side, you know, two years ago, uh, Junior was playing on one side opposite of Martin Emerson, who was a starter for Cleveland this past year. So you go back two years ago, you get two high draft pick NFL corners on the field. So therefore, because of that personnel, they, they were allowed to play a lot of man, and they did. They they got to a point where, you know, you just totally trusted them against anybody uh, out there in man coverage. And that's why State was able to be, in a, from a scheme perspective, um, more aggressive. They, you had to play some zone. Obviously, all teams do. But I think he was certainly better in man situations. I don't have to tell you how loaded the SEC has been at receiver for years. Are there any matchups for Emmanuel Forbes against stud SEC receivers that jump out at you in terms of Forbes doing really well against those receivers? Yeah, um, with an individual, uh, that's a good question. And I might draw a blank on a couple of the names. But for for folks who are uh, Washington fans who might want to go back and watch some of this, the, uh, the Mississippi State versus LSU game in 2021, which would have been in Starkville, I believe. I, th- I think I'm getting this right. It was two years ago. That was again where LSU is always loaded at receiver. They've always got high draft pick talent at that position. And that was two years ago. And you go back, and, and in that game, he had a great ball game. Um, in man-to-man, made plays, just harassed a guy. And, and that would be one to take a look at. Um, you know, Texas A&M is not a team that has necessarily had a big time guy on the outside. They, they did have, you know, a a player this past year. It was really good. And, but he, they kind of moved him around. They put him in the slot. zone, really to get him away from, uh, from Forbes, but Forbes sort of dominated them in his career. That was a team that he really dominated and you could go, I would absolutely, uh, you know, go back and look and watch what we call the Egg Bowl, the final game of the year between State and Ole Miss. They had Jonathan Mingo, a guy who was um, taken, I think, in the second round uh, of the draft, maybe about Carolina. Mingo, a big receiver, big-time prospect. And Junior had a really good ball game there where he's around the football, he's making plays. And he had several plays you know, against Mingo where he was really physical coming up and tackling a big guy. So those would be some examples. Well, Emmanuel Forbes uh, will not be the only Mississippi State player on the Commanders this coming season. Edge defender Montez Sweat is going into his fifth season with Washington. Uh, He's actually a candidate for a big money contract extension this offseason. But uh, what do you remember about Montez at Mississippi State? Well, they were absolutely loaded on those teams that he was on. You know, at that time, um, you had Montez at at one spot, you had Jeffrey Simmons playing to his left down there over the nose. You had a first-round safety and Jonathan Abram back there behind him. And and so, like, they had a loaded defense. Um, one, one of the greatest – well, not greatest, but one of the more fun games I remember that Montez played in was the Gator Bowl his senior year against Lamar Jackson in Louisville. And that was the game Dan Mullen had left, like, at the end of the season. You had an interim coach. 
they were playing a young quarterback on the offensive side, and that defense went in there and just absolutely terrorized Lamar Jackson in that bowl game. And Montez had a big – they couldn't block it, you know, off the edge. And um, you could just see it then. He was going to have, uh, you know, a huge, huge – uh, pro career, and then he went to the combine and ran like four four at two hundred and seventy pounds or whatever. And so uh, he he played on a loaded defense for sure. Yeah, Montez Sweat is an incredible physical specimen, and he's coming off a really nice twenty twenty two season. Former Mississippi State quarterback Matt Wyatt, uh, he is the radio analyst for Mississippi State football games on the MSU Sports Network. He also is the host of the Matt Wyatt Show on ESPN The Zone one hundred five nine in Mississippi. Uh, Matt. Thanks a lot for your time. All the best. Yeah, thank you, Al. My pleasure. All right, great insight on Emmanuel Forbes from Matt Wyatt. Would be great to see Emmanuel Forbes thrive with the Commanders. Almost as great as the deal being offered by Shady Rays to listeners of this podcast. Uh, Shady Rays, for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, is offering 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the promo code ALGALDI. Shady Rays sunglasses look good and feel good. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses. No questions asked. You can wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. So go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, you're hearing that right. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. And get this, if you don't love your sunglasses, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you've been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time. Shady Rays. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Also, Shady Rays has done some great work, has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays, look good and feel good. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, don't look now, but the Nationals, since their 4-11 and 11 start to the 2023 MLB regular season, are 8-7. and 8-7. and seven. Not bad. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday night won for a third time in four games, a 2-1 win over the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park in Game 3 of a four-game series, a tight game, a close win, an impressive win for the boys. I'm proud of the boys. <laughs> that is right. Manager David Martinez, he 
and the boys uh, have a chance to win three out of four games against the Cubs. Uh, The rise of C.J. Abrams continued on Wednesday night. He had what proved to be the game-winning hit. Abrams as an at-starting shortstop and number eight batter, one for three with an RBI single. He, in an at's one-run seventh, a first-pitch opposite field RBI single to left center field for a 2-1 Nats lead. Now, Abrams uh, did then get picked off and caught stealing second base. That was bad, but the RBI single gives Abrams a team-leading 15 runs batted in for this regular season. Uh, I am not in love with the RBI stat. Uh, RBI is a function of opportunity as much as anything, but, you know, RBI does have some meaning, uh, and Abrams is number one on the team in runs batted in. Uh, The man who scored on C.J. Abrams' RBI single in the bottom of the seventh was Lane Thomas. Uh, He is the Nats' starting right fielder and number seven batter, two for three with a triple and a single. Uh, Andy went one for one on stolen bases. Thomas in that Nats one run seventh, a leadoff triple down the left field line. Now, this really was a double that got played into a triple. The ball got misplayed by the Cubs left fielder, Ian Happ. He allowed the ball to roll all the way to the left field corner. Uh, But still, Thomas was credited with a triple and Thomas in the bottom of the fifth had a leadoff full count single to center field and he then stole second base. Uh, Also, Victor Robles, uh, he as an ad starting center fielder and number nine batter, two for two, with two singles and a walk, and he went two for two on stolen bases. So the Nats, seven, eight, and nine batters on Wednesday night. Lane Thomas, C.J. Abrams, and Victor Robles, a combined five for eight with a triple, an RBI single, three other singles, and a walk, and those three players went a combined three of four on stolen bases. Not bad. Uh, Also, with two hits for the Nats on Tuesday night was Joey Manessis. Uh, He is the Nats' starting DH and number four batter, two for four, with two singles. Uh, The Nats' starting pitcher on Tuesday night was Jake Irvin. Uh, The Nats on Wednesday recalled Jake Irvin from AAA Rochester. The Nats took Irvin in the fourth round of the 2018 MLB draft out of the University of Oklahoma. Uh, He is the Nats' number 20 prospect for MLB Pipeline. So he's not some highly touted prospect, but he is a prospect, and the Nats are a rebuilding team. So Jake Irvin's performance on Wednesday night very much mattered, and Irvin overall was solid considering the circumstance. I mean, he was making his major league regular season debut. He allowed one run in four and a third innings. His biggest problem was his control. Uh, He issued four walks, a hit by pitch, and a wild pitch, and he threw just 45 strikes versus 36 balls over 81 pitches. There actually was some irony in this because Baseball America has labeled Jake Irvin as having the best control among pitchers in the Nats minor league system. Well, the uh, control on Wednesday night was not so great, but listen, for a major league regular season debut, this was not bad. Uh, He recorded three strikeouts and he gave up just two hits, both of which were singles, and Irvin settled into the game. You know, he had a rough top of the first. He let a run on a hit-by-pitch, a walk, and an RBI single, but he then retired 10 of the final 14 batters he faced. Uh, this was Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night on Jake Irvin. After the first inning, I you know, sat back and I said, well, you covered all the bases. You hit a guy, you walked a guy, a guy scored, so now, you, now you're loose and go, you know, go throw strikes, and uh, he handled it really well. You know, we really, I just sat there, you know, I wanted to see his reaction. He just sat there kind of like, oh, you know, but uh, yeah, it didn't seem to phase him. I mean, he went out there and pitched really well. What do you think was the biggest development from first pitch to when you called to the bullpen with him? But he was very, like I, like I said before, you know, what I know, know known about, um, known about Jake is that he's very poised. You know, he goes out there, he wants, he gets to the next pitch. He doesn't get rattled. Um, you know, he get, get back, you know, stay, you know, he stayed within himself. He stayed poised. Um, he kept us in the ball game. I mean, I, I thought that was pretty awesome. He went to his changeup a few times to get some outs. How important is that going to be ultimately for him to, to, to succeed up here? Oh, he went to his changeup, his curveball. Um, he threw his fastball, you know, uh, for, for strikes when he needed to. But um, that changeup is really good, you know, and, and his curveball. His cur- curveball had a lot of depth. So, um, yeah, he's got a pitch. You know, that's what, that, that's what he does. And um, like I said, he, he kept us in the game, you know, and, and pitched well. Well, also going well for the Nats in their 2-1 win over the Cubs on Wednesday night, the Nats bullpen. Four Nats relievers combined for four and two-thirds scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Uh, Andres Machado won in two-thirds scoreless innings with two strikeouts. He came into the game in the top of the fifth 
with runners on first and second, one out, and the game tied at one. And he, on one pitch, induced a 6-4-3 double play off the bat of Dansby Swanson. Uh, Carl Edwards Jr. tossed a scoreless top of the seventh. Uh, Hunter Harvey had another great outing. Man, is he on fire right now. The former Oriole, Hunter Harvey, uh, he tossed a scoreless top of the eighth with two strikeouts, which were three pitch swinging strikeouts of the Cubs' numbers one and four batters, Nico Horner and Cody Bellinger. Get this, Harvey threw 14 pitches, 13 strikes versus one ball. How do you like that for a strikes to balls ratio? 13 strikes versus one ball. Uh, His four-seam fastball velocity peaked at 99.9 miles per hour per stat cast. Uh, Harvey now in this regular season, 13 and two-thirds innings, an ERA of 198, a whip of 0.95, and a strikeouts per nine innings of 10.54. Then we had Kyle Finnegan tossing a scoreless top of the ninth for the save. And what an inning this turned out to be. So Finnegan gave up back-to-back singles to begin the inning. And if you know Kyle Finnegan, you know that he's either on or he's off. And when he's off, he can be quite bad. And so if you're watching this game, you're saying to yourself, oh boy, here we go. This appears to be an off night for Kyle Finnegan. But then came a terrific play by the Nats third baseman, Jamer Candelario. He cleanly fielded a bunt by Eric Hosmer and then fired a really good throw to second base for the force out, as the Nats actually nearly got a double play on that play, but the force out at second created the possibility of a game-ending double play, and then that is exactly what the Nats got. Kyle Finnegan induced a first-pitch 6-4-3 double play off the bat of Patrick Wisdom to end the game with what was the Nats' fourth double play of the game. The Nats this season have been really good at turning double plays, some big double plays, in this win on Wednesday night. Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night on the Nats defense. The defense is the key, man. Our pitchers just need, you know, our pitchers got to understand, hey, throw strikes, put the ball on the ground, you know, we'll make the plays behind you. And uh, we've been doing that. And as you can see today, I thought we played one of our best games of the year today, just by, you know, close game, um, you know, catching the ball, playing good defense, turning some double plays, uh, heads up base running, um, all, all was good today. Yes, it was. Game four for the Nats against the Cubs at Nationals Park is on Thursday afternoon at 105. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, we on Wednesday night had something that's rare these days, an Orioles loss. Uh, what was just their fifth loss in 21 games, and this was a shutout loss, uh, a 6 nothing loss at the Kansas City Royals in Game 2 of a three-game series. Uh, the O's now are 20-10, and 10, uh, still have the second-best record in the American League, but the O's won game after their offense went bonkers uh, in an 11-7 win at the Royals on Tuesday night, got shut down on Wednesday night. No runs, just six hits, which consisted of a double and five singles, uh, just one walk. The double was by Ryan Mountcastle, who, as the Orioles starting DH and number three batter, went one for four. Uh, Anthony Santander, as the Orioles starting right fielder and number four batter, two for four, with two singles, but otherwise not much happening for the O's offensively on Wednesday night. The Royals starting pitcher was Zach Greinke. Uh, he tossed five scoreless innings in what is his age 39 season. Yep, Zach Greinke is still pitching. Uh, the Orioles starting pitcher was Kyle Gibson. He on Wednesday night was good until he was not good. Uh, Gibson allowed six runs in six and two-thirds innings. He allowed two runs through six innings, but He then, in the bottom of the seventh, allowed four runs and got just two outs. Uh, One of the runs charged to Gibson did come on a two-out RBI double by Vinny Pasquantino down the right field line that was given up by reliever Keegan Aiken, who officially tossed one and a third scoreless innings. Uh, Gibson wound up with a really strange stat line in six and two-thirds innings. No strikeouts, no walks, but 10 hits, which consisted of a homer, a triple, three doubles, and five singles. Uh, Gibson, over his six and two-thirds innings, only threw 74 pitches, uh, 49 strikes versus 25 balls. Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters on Wednesday night on Kyle Gibson, and then you'll hear two follow-up exchanges about the Orioles hitting in the game. I thought he was really good into that seventh inning, and 
Then we're down a couple. He gets an out. And then kind of a squibber through the a squibber through the infield. And, um, you know, he has a sack fly. We're down 3 nothing. Uh, bottom of the order. Love to try to keep our bullpen in shape for good shape for tomorrow also. Uh, but... You know, the bottom line is we didn't score. <laughs> so, uh, tough time offensively tonight um, and shut out. What was making Granky tough in those first handful? You know, just what he does. He just mixes pitches. He locates everything well and pitches to hitters' weaknesses. And um, yeah, we just had a tough time squaring him up. You guys have been really disciplined at the plate this season, seeing a lot of pitches. Not exactly the case tonight. What did you think about the approach at the plate from your guys? Well, you know, Grinky's really around the plate a lot and, and uh, not going to walk people. So, um, you know, I thought we saw some good pitches to hit. We just, you know, just didn't, wasn't our night offensively. No, it was not. Uh, some good news for the O's. Uh, closer Felix Batista, he on Wednesday morning was named American League Reliever of the Month. But uh, there was no need for a closer on Wednesday night with the way that uh, this 6 nothing loss at the Royals went. Game three for the O's at the Royals is on Thursday afternoon at 2.10. Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles starting pitcher, and the Royals starting pitcher will be a guy who did a nice job for the O's last season, Jordan Lyles. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 566. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Also, I'll talk nationals and Orioles. And that's on Thursday afternoon at 105. Have game four of a four-game series against the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park. The O's on Thursday afternoon at 210 have Game 3 of a three-game series at the Kansas City Royals. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Obi-Wan, may the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.